Welcome to Friends in Fiction, five best-selling authors and the stories. Novelists Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, Patty Callahan Henry, and Mary Alice Monroe are five longtime friends with more than 80 published books to their credit. In 2020, they created Friends in Fiction to provide author interviews and fascinating insider talk about publishing and writing, and to highlight independent bookstores. These friends discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place. Hi, everyone. It is Wednesday night. That means it is time for the happiest hour and dare I say, most fun hour of the week, (laughs) friends and fiction. Welcome to our show. We have so much to look forward to tonight. Our first event live from a bookstore. Not us, obviously we're at home. (laughs) But our guest is live from a bookstore. I am Patty Callahan Henry. And I'm Mary Kay Andrews. I'm Kristen Harmel. And I'm Christy Woodson Harvey. And this is Friends and Fiction. New York Times bestselling authors, endless stories to support indie bookstores. Tonight, you have the privilege of meeting Wiley Cash, and we'll talk about his new book, When Ghosts Come Home, which released yesterday. We'll find out about what inspires Wiley and much more. And something really special for a special guest, Wiley is live in a bookstore in Charlotte, North Carolina, Park Road Books. So we will even be taking live questions. And tonight, we encourage you to buy Wiley's book from Park Road Books, where he is waiting for us. He's there alive. But first, I want to talk about this week's Friends in Fiction Parade Magazine essay in their online magazine, which was written by Patty as she reflected on how we survived the surviving. You can find it linked on our Facebook page and on our Instagram bio. But meanwhile, Patty, can you tell us a little bit about it? Oh, we're not going to talk for a long time about this, but I finally wrote about something I don't talk about very much and something I don't write about very much. Um, I wrote a bit about surviving something I went through. And as we're getting closer to October, which we all know is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Mm -hmm. I recalled this moment when a doctor said to me in real life, not in a fiction book, it is cancer. And I said, not the real kind, right? As if there was any other kind. And I write a little bit about coming out on the other side of that after some years and realizing that I will never be exactly the same. And so I ask, how do we make meaning out of that? And I'd like to know, have y'all had something you've gone through that most people consider to be over but you know it changed you? You know, I I had to think really hard about that. And I feel like I've lived such a blessed life. Mm. And the the, the most um, earth shattering thing that happened was I lost my mother, my father, my older sister, and my younger brother um, in the space of about six years. (sighs) And um, each of the deaths was sudden and unexpected. And I I guess the way I survived it was I was surrounded by dear friends because I remember being in a fog. Yes. But my oldest, dearest friends, uh, we all the funerals were back in St. Pete where I grew up and where my closest, oldest, dearest friends are. And I think I leaned on them and they helped me up. And that's all that's the um, the perspective I have is that I got through that fall because and for, and family, but them sort of steering me and saying you just put one foot in front of the other. Yeah. So not I don't have any deep lessons about it. I just uh, I didn't have any. No, choice. that's pretty. Profound. That's deep. Yes. Yes. I didn't have any choice, so I just yeah. put one foot in front of the other. Yeah. I mean, this is not super personal, but I feel like just the past couple of years have changed all of us and in ways that um, 
I don't even think that we'll really even know until later. You know, my mom and I were actually talking about this, about, um, you know, having like my grandparents and people who survived the Great Depression and how their lives are forever altered from that. And like, you know, Will and I were talking about the other day, like, are we ever going to feel safe if we just have six rolls of toilet paper? (laughs) No, I mean, I'm kidding. That's obviously really trite. But, um, you know, there, I think we're all going to just... I think we'll all be different, but also maybe in some good ways too, because I think we've all really learned. I know all of us on this screen, how um, kind of everything we know can sort of implode and we can figure out what to do next. And, you know, we have that ability and that power to do it. So, you know, hopefully something good will come out of it. I don't feel like we're on the other side of it enough to really even be able to stay. We're too in it, you know, but, um, but I think it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, um, how we change time and how we change. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. You know, I was thinking, um, about back in, it was either 2008 or 2009 when the economy just completely bottomed out. You guys remember that? Like where everything. So I was writing for people magazine at the time and, um, they called one day in, I think it was October, early October or late September. And said we can't use um, freelancers again for the remainder of the year. And that was the bulk of my income at the time. I was writing novels, but my, my main income came from people. Um, and so it was at a time when the work had been drying up anyhow. Um, and I hit a point a few months later where, um, where I almost wasn't able to make my mortgage payment and where I was facing, you know, mm-hmm. I, I was, I was single. It was just me. And I was facing the possibility of losing my house, which had been, I'd been so proud of myself as a single woman for purchasing this thing. Yeah. Um, and I made it through that time period. It was really hard. It was really scary. Um, but I think just like you said in the essay, Patty, I think it's kind of, um, it's those moments that we have to survive. And this was nothing compared to what you had to survive, of course, but it's those difficult times that teach us what we're made of um, yeah. and, and that show us a way forward and that teach us never to take the things we used to take for granted for granted again, you know, um, that taught me a lot and it's kind of changed the way I live and the way I look at my career and the way I look at my life. And it's this, you know, it's the phrase we've talked about a lot on here. How do we survive the surviving? And I know that I'm really want to hear from Wiley too, because I know that profound changes in his life found their way into this powerful book. So now let's talk about Wiley. Yeah. So Wiley Cash is the New York Times bestselling author of several novels, including A Land More Kind Than Home and This Dark Road to Mercy. He is an extraordinary author and more importantly, an extraordinary and very kind person. That's awesome. And I'm just meeting Wiley tonight, so I can't, I I hope we'll have an opportunity to meet in person soon. But I think he's pretty impressive. He was a fellow at Yaddo and the McDowell Colony. He also won the Conroy Legacy Award and the SEBA Book Award. SEBA is the Southeastern Independent Booksellers Award, for those of you not in the know. He was a finalist for a little something called the Penn Robert W. Bingham Prize and the Edgar Allan Poe Award for Best Novel. I think that's, that's I think the uh, Edgar is nominated, is um, awarded by Mystery Writers of America, an organization I belong to. Yep. Wow. Well, that's a lot of great things. Um, but yeah. in addition to all of that, he teaches literature and fiction writing at the University of North Carolina, Asheville, which is um, related to my Tar Heels at UNC, <laughs> and I think I need to go take his class. Maybe I could do Ooh. some sort of. Uh, <laughs> well, also, what, so what do you call it when you get to take something? And that's what oh. I was just thinking. I was going to say lateral uh, entry. Audit, I was audit. like, that's not it. Audit. 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 Class. Yeah, yeah. Um, Wiley, also, I think it's freeload. Free Audit's code for freeload. Yeah, <laughs> but you have to pay, right? You just don't get graded. Oh, that's like the opposite of freeload. Or charge. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Wiley also serves as the alumni author in residence and lives in North Carolina with his wife, photographer Mallory Cash, and their daughters. His new book, When Ghosts Come Home, was released earlier this month and centers around a small North Carolina town, which is thrown into turmoil when Sheriff Winston Brown discovers a crashed plane and a dead body. I dare you not to pick it up after hearing that. I know, right? What a gorgeous cover that is. I know, exactly. Just cut cut the episode now. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Go buy the book. (laughs) Total cover. This novel is such a page turning plot and even more powerful than the plot is these full, richly 
nuanced characters whose lives unfold. And Wiley, we're going to ask him about this because I don't know how he did it. He balances three points of view so masterfully. But Alan, why don't you bring Wiley on so we can talk to him instead of about him? Welcome. I haven't gotten to be in bookstores in so long that I was just catching up on some reading. Did you write that? If that's true, and it is, I just learned it. And that book, indeed, everyone poops. Oh, welcome, Wiley. These are universal truths. Oh, my gosh. Wiley's coming in hot with hard truths. It's true. It's true. Yeah. We are so excited you're here and spending your pub week Wednesday with us. And you know, I've told you how much I love this book and how much of a heart punch it was. And yet somehow also miraculously beautiful and healing. It was quite a tightrope to balance. So before we dive into its origins and the deep end of the family story, will you just give us a nugget of what for those who don't know what it's about, tell us, you know, your little sure, nugget. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Patty. And thank all of you for having me. I'm here at Park Road Books, as you said. I'm in front of uh, 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 their back. I'm, my back is to them, but a live masked audience here in Charlotte, North Carolina. It's great to be back in bookstores. Um, my book came out yesterday. So this is my kind of my second event. And I am so thrilled to be spending it with all of you. I've been following this mm-hmm. page since its inception y'all are like destiny's child but all of you are beyonce he's my favorite guest so far what about you guys yeah Yeah. Um, he wins let's give him a star Okay. And, I, and I follow you online, too. Like, I know all about Mary Kay's secret internet boyfriends. I'm hoping to uh, <laughs> one day be nominated. I, you know, if, if Mary Alice were here, I would toast her with this delicious cup of frosted coffee. <laughs> oh, perfect. Deep house blend. Um, but to, to get on to the book, uh, thank you for the kind words about it, Patty. So uh, the setup is it's the fall of 1984. Uh, there's a middle-aged sheriff named Winston Barnes. He is facing a tough re-election battle. And in the middle of the night, he is awakened by the roar of a low-flying aircraft that's passing over his house off the coast of uh, Brunswick County on this little island called Oak Island. And Winston wakes up. He knows there is no good reason for a plane to be landing this late at night, certainly not a plane of this size. He lives near a municipal airport with a grass runway. And so he gets dressed, gets out of bed, gets dressed, drives out to the airport. And what he finds there changes not only his life, but the life of this small town forever. He finds an abandoned DC-3. It's a World War II era cargo plane. It's an enormous aircraft, and it's too large for this small runway. And it's come in, and it's crash landed, and the landing gear is broken. Uh, The plane's completely abandoned. Later, they will not even be able to recover any fingerprints from inside the aircraft. And most mysterious is the body of a local man who's been shot dead and left beside the runway. So when the book opens 20 pages in, we've got two mysteries on our hands. Why is this aircraft here and who flew it? And what, if any, role did this dead man play in uh, this plane's sudden appearance? Wow, I love that. So fascinating. Again, <laughs> yeah. we dare you not to read it after. Yeah, I know, I know right? Exactly. Yeah. Well, Wiley, we love to dive into origin stories here. And so we want to talk about that. So you, like me, are from North Carolina. You live in North Carolina. And this novel is really drenched in North Carolina. I live on a different part of the coast, but um, I could sort of feel that air and the scent of Oak Island and Um, see those houses in that police station and you brought it alive so evocatively. Could you tell us where the germ of this idea began? Yeah. So it happened, you know, my wife uh, was, was raised in Wilmington and both of our daughters who are now six and five, uh, they were both born in Wilmington and I was not, I was born and I was raised in the Western part of the state and we moved down to Wilmington in 2013. And as I said, we started a family there. And I've come to terms with the fact that at some point, my experience, my childhood experience playing in the woods in Gaston, mm-hmm. North Carolina, is going to be very different from my daughter's experience of going to the beach yeah. and being on boats and being in the wetlands. Mm-hmm. I had this very egocentric 
fear of the, the, the predictable moment in the future when our lives are going to diverge in a strange way. And, <laughs> and what is it going to be about the regions that we're from that causes us to not be in step on whatever it may be, taste, uh, artistic preferences, cultural identities, whatever the case may be. And I knew that if I was ever going to know this place to any degree close to how they're going to know it, I was going to have to write about it and really involve myself in the history and the geography and the culture and, and look at it with the eye that, that all of you bring to your own work. And um, so that was, that was one reason I really turned my eyes to Eastern North Carolina. But the other reason was, I heard this rumor of a plane that crash landed at the Oak Island airport in the late seventies and the plane was too large and they had to hire a stunt uh, pilot to come fly the plane away. And I don't know if that's true or not. I never looked into it because I didn't want (laughs) to contaminate my, my idea, but um, that just kind of got me thinking about what would happen if that happened in 1984, (laughs) if that political cultural moment with, you know, the drug, the dare programs and the drugs being flown into the country. And it just seemed like a good time to write about. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, I covered a story like that when I was a newspaper reporter, um, stringing for the Atlanta journal constitution and, um, uh, a dairy farmer in a rural part part of Georgia kept hearing planes landing at the dairy farm next to theirs. And they're like, why are planes, why do these dairy, farm, dairy farmers have an airstrip on their ah. on their farm? Of course, because they were running drugs and <laughs> law enforcement was involved. But that's another story. But Wiley, so this story really resonates with me. And, you know, this is not your first mystery. And speaking as a mystery writer myself, clearly not your first rodeo. And yet you've won awards for mystery writing, including the Edgar, which is, you know, the, uh, the wow. Oscar for mystery. Um, would you clear up the confusion and talk to us about mystery versus books not marketed as a mystery? Gosh, I am. I don't know if I'm the, the best spokesperson for the genre. You know, I I feel like this is my my most traditional mystery because in this novel, the reader doesn't have all of the information until literally the last page. And when I think of mysteries, I think of really smart writers who are able to kind of structure a narrative with all the necessary traps and springs and trampolines, but also the the requisite kind of blindfolds the reader has to have draped over their eyes to kind of move quickly past the things that reveal just enough to tease you, but not enough to stop you. And I've never been able to be that kind of writer. My my first two novels were were classified as mysteries, but they were, in my mind, they were mysteries because the thrill of those novels was you were waiting to see when the characters would know all of the information that the reader knows. And that's where the suspense comes from. But in this novel, When Ghosts Come Home, I was able, and I think it was honestly through good fortune and blind luck and lots of false endings that I just kind of fell into a more traditional mystery. And when it happened, Mary Kay, I felt so smart. I, I, I thought like, <laughs> this is what it's like to feel smart when you write. This is what it's like to, to maybe think that a reader is going to be think like, Oh my gosh, I never saw that coming. You know, <laughs> instead of just the characters being like, wait, I've got to die now, you know? Um, so that was really exciting for me. And, and it's something that I don't know I could do again. Um, but it's something that I think I did this time, hopefully. Uh, Cause this I is, just, a, I didn't see coming. Yeah. Um, when you started writing When Ghosts Come Home, did you think to yourself, clearly I'm writing a whodunit? No, um, I didn't think that necessarily. I, I, I had, in the back of my mind, I knew I wanted the reader to be surprised at the end. I didn't know what the surprise was going to be. I knew I wanted there to be some kind of turn. And to be honest with you, I knew what I wanted the closing emotional note of the novel to be. And I, I, there were two things I, that I wrote toward in the novel. One was an uncomfortable situation that the sheriff has with his secretary. I wrote toward that moment. Mm-hmm. And then I wrote toward the final emotional tone. And I didn't know what the scaffolding was going to be to get there. And, and a couple of days ago, I did, an, I did, a, I did a, a podcast uh, and I was talking about how I was the whole time I was reaching for that, for that emotional t- closing tone. And I was just building these really janky scaffolds to get there. <laughs> <laughs> and 
I would get up there and I'd be reaching for it and the wind would be blowing and I'd be like, I got to get down. This isn't going to work. You know? <laughs> and so it was a lot of, a lot of like bad endings trying to fabricate the steps to get to the, to that emotional ending that I wanted, wanted to end with. But, but in terms of like what makes a mystery novel versus suspense or versus a thriller, I think a mystery just has these elements of surprise where something is revealed at the end and you don't feel tricked. You feel surprised. And so then you want to go back and look for all the things that you should have seen. And, and that's part of the deliciousness of life, really. Like, why didn't I see this coming? All the clues were there. And I think we could say the same thing about our books often. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're all, all of us want to surprise our readers by the end. I think if you, I think for me, if I start out saying to myself, well, they've already telegraphed the ending, then then I start out disappointed. But I think if you keep the reader wondering and keep turning those pages, then to me, you've succeeded. Obviously, you have. Yeah, 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 obviously. Mary will text us and she will say, I still don't know who did it. (laughs) Yeah. About her own book. Well, I can say that, you know, even if I didn't do it, at least the book's done. Right. Yeah. I've read your reviews. You did it. You did it. You did it. So, um, so Wiley, you know, earlier, right before you came on, we were talking about surviving the surviving, how, you know, how these things in your life that you go through kind of seep into every aspect of your life after that and kind of change you forever. Um, so I, you, and I think those are the things that kind of show us what we're made of. So I'm, I'm wondering, I know you mentioned you have, um, two kids who were five and six. So in the last several years, you become a father. Um, and I also know that you lost your father within the last Mm -hmm. several years. Um, do you think that either of those huge momentous changes in your life or any of the other changes you've gone through, like we were talking about changes earlier, have made their way into your writing either directly in terms of, um, you know, becoming things you address head on or indirectly in terms of the way you think about things or, or think about relationships? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, I, I was listening in, uh, when Patty was talking about and and the the, the stories that, that y'all were sharing and it was bringing up a lot of experiences that I've had and, and one of them is losing my dad. We lost my dad in May of 2016 and so literally uh, thank you uh, a month before he passed away, our, our youngest daughter was born and so uh. we had this great joy and then this great tragedy and you know, the whiplash of those two things and trying to hold both of those in your mind at once. And that's also something that I've really been interested in yeah. um, psychically late, lately is trying to hold two conflicting ideas in your mind at once oh, and honoring wow. both of those. Yeah. And um, my wife is really good at that with our girls. They were at the bookstore to visit my book yesterday. They to got visit your book. I don't book. Yeah. That's so sweet. And my, and my wife was like, girls, maybe this is the one that will sell well enough where y'all can get some shoes. <laughs> and they were like, you know, it's going to be cold eventually in Wilmington, mom. And she said it really loud, hoping somebody would hear to offer to buy shoes or the book, but nobody did. But you have they to got- train those girls to tell people to go up to strangers and say, I didn't wrote a book. Please I know. Buy it. And I, I know. need food. Yeah. Yeah. I, need, I need food. Uh, but but my our, our five-year-old, my, she got them each a book, but our five-year-old also wanted this little fox. And she was really sad about not getting the fox. And as a parent, my inclination is to say, you should be happy. You got a book. But instead, <laughs> my wife, because she's brilliant and much more patient than me, she said, I understand that you're excited that you got a book. And I know you're sad that you didn't get that fox. And that's Okay. And you can sit with both of those and honor both of those at the same time. Wow. And when, when I lost my dad and my daughter was born, I tried to hold both of those side by side. And, mm-hmm. and that's what I did in, in writing this novel. And that's what I do every time I read a novel about the South. You know, I'm looking at the South with an eye toward some of the, the bumps and bruises and the warts and the, 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 the cuts and things. But I also love the South. I'm incredibly proud to be from North Carolina. I'm incredibly yeah. proud to be southern writer whatever that means anymore but i can also say honestly that the south needs to look at itself you know uh critically and openly and honestly 
And so that's what I'm trying to do in this book. I'm, I'm, I'm writing about the beautiful things, but I'm also writing about the things that are uncomfortable. And I, I'm doing that in the relationships of the book as well with the sheriff and his daughter, who's 25 years old and flees home, fleeing a, a struggling marriage and this heartbreak. And he's, he's sad for her, but he's frustrated by it. And he's got all these conflicting emotions at the same time. So first I have to say that was an excellent answer. That was like so deep and introspective. Second, I would be remiss if I didn't say at some point in this broadcast, Wiley Cash is the best author name ever. I mean, I know that's your name, but like how great of a name is that? It's great because because my editor was like, great, you have a memorable name. That means all of your books can have really long, confusing titles because at least I, it's I really wish good. That was my name. I wish I was Wiley Cash. Name, but when I waited tables, it was a terrible name because I would go up and I wasn't a very good waiter. And I would say, good evening, my name's Wiley. I'll be taking care of you tonight. Can I start you out with some drinks? And they'd be like, Wiley, like Wiley Coyote. And I'm like, yes. Yeah, like yeah that's it. Can I get you some drinks? Because I've just been triple set. Can I get you drinks? What's your last name? It's Cash. Can I get you some? Like Johnny Cash? Yes. Like Johnny, can I get you some drinks? Are you still looking at the menu? Um, so for a writer, it's, it's like the only good name to have. It's the only good I just said, my name is John Smith. Yes, <laughs> exactly. John Jingleheimer Schmitz. Can I take your order tonight? <laughs> it would have gone right by him and they'd have been like, yeah, I'll have the... Oh my gosh. Okay. But but getting back to what you were saying about writing about North Carolina, um, I'm so interested in this. It was interesting to hear you talk about balancing both things when you're writing about the South. When you first started writing novels, did you intentionally write about North Carolina with that in mind? Or was it just that North Carolina is such a part of you that you couldn't imagine writing about anything else? I think both of those. You know, I think that North Carolina. And, you know, Christy might might back me up on this. And I, and I heard her uh, when I was eating M&Ms in the virtual green room. Uh, <laughs> uh, only the red ones. Thank you, friends in fiction, for finally getting it right. Uh, we aim to please, Wiley. We aim to please. Christy, please don't take my class. I will lose all credibility if you take my class. The kids will be like, I don't have to listen to you anymore. It's easy here. Um, but North Carolina is a great place to be from as a writer because... You know, I think that hopefully y'all y'all might agree that the good stories come from tension, and there's a yeah. lot of tension in North Carolina. We're a swing yeah. state. We have regional tension between the mountains and the Piedmont and the coastal yeah. plain. We have like barbecue tension. We have oh. basketball tension. <laughs> barbecue tension. We, we got it all. Tension. We got it all right. We got it all. Um, mm-hmm. and so those those little tensions, historical, political, cultural, regional. That's a delicious place just to look yeah. at your state honestly and to write mm-hmm. from that perspective. Yeah. yeah. But North Carolina is also a place that I love and I, and I know it well, and I'll yeah. never tire of writing stories that are mm-hmm. set here that look at this place. Um, you know, my first novel, A Land More Kind Than Home, was my attempt to understand something about the culture in which I was raised in the 1980s, which was a very conservative Baptist culture set against the backdrop of the rise and fall of the evangelical movement with Jim and Tammy Faye Baker and Jimmy Swaggart. And so writing this novel about a a preacher that sweeps into a church and causes great upheaval um, is exactly, was exactly what was happening around me when I was nine years old in 1986. And so Mm. the main character in my first novel is a nine-year-old in 1986 witnessing all of this stuff happen. That's awesome. Oh, Wiley, we have a million questions, but we have this very patient live audience behind you. So do you I want... haven't turned around. I can't see them. Oh, they're, being <laughs> they're making faces at you. Okay. So yeah. do you want to see if one of them has a question before we? Sure. Does anybody have any questions? Don't be shy just because you're yeah, on live. Yeah. We would love to hear your questions. Yeah. Um. Debbie. Debbie. Debbie asked what my writing process is like. Most of my writing process, Debbie, is driven by financial desperation. <laughs> um, that's really what gets it's me it's driven death. by children's shoes. That yes. is Charleston Coffee, Beach House. It's <laughs> what gets me at the desk every morning. I actually I actually do drink Charleston coffee. It's delicious. It's amazing. It's that's hilarious. The organic Colombian. I love it. Um, but uh my process with Ghosts Come Home, 
I began writing it as a short story and I, I typed it. I had always typed all of my books on the laptop that we're streaming from right now. And I quickly learned that I can type faster than my brain can process what yeah. I want to put down. Yeah. And I, oh, wow. I was staring at the blinking cursor. And as a writer, that's like death. Bad. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Bad news. And so when I went back to really reimagine this book, I hand wrote it. And I, I wrote it with pencil oh. and notebook paper. And, wow. and yeah, and my hand cannot move as quickly as my mind can. Wow. And I was aware that I, I always had something to put down. And so that's what I do. I did that for the whole book. I hand wrote the entire thing. And that's incredible. Yeah. And if wow. I can do on, on a good writing day, if I'm in the office, I, I try to lock in about three hours of just writing and then the busy work of email. And you all know how that is with marketing, yeah. whatever, whatever it is that you're working on. Um, but if I can do two notebook pages front and back, that is an incredible writing day. And one of my favorite things to do is to stop mid sentence and just get up from the desk ah. when the page feels warm and hot, yeah. because when I come back to it, it's going to feel that way. And I love that feeling. If the page is cold, when I come back to it, it's going to feel cold. And that's like looking at that blinking cursor. So I try to end the day in a spot that feels urgent and, um, and, and alive. I'm always afraid I'll forget if I, if I stop in Ned's sentence. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I do. You know I, I draft. So many twists and turns. <laughs> Cause you're like, I didn't know where I was going. Yeah. Sometimes I leave myself a note. I have a lot of in my drafts that'll say, yeah. don't forget. Yeah. My friend, um, Jason Mott, uh, who just made the long list for the National Book Award. Yeah, we saw book, that. It's amazing. Book. He is a brilliant writer, but he keeps, he has his file where his novel is. And then he keeps like a, like a running file of just images, sayings, ideas that he knows he wants to go into that book. And just occasionally he'll open that file and say like, oh, I remember that piece of dialogue I heard. I'm going to move that to the scene. And I thought, God, that's such a great idea. It's a um, great idea. I, I, leave myself, I leave myself, don't forget, at the yeah. bottom. Yeah. Of yeah. The, okay, so we have a question from Facebook. Denise okay. Smith wonders, is your class virtual so I can take it? And I do know people want to know about your teaching, but it's only yeah. for your students, right? Like there's no... Yeah. Yeah, I'm the alumni author in residence at my alma mater, which is UNC Asheville, and I teach in person uh, fiction writing workshop uh, every fall. Um, but I do oftentimes do some online writing workshops, and okay. I have some videos that folks can download on my website, wileycash.com. Um, but I, I do some virtual workshops from time to time, so I hope that, uh, that she can jump on one of those if I ever do that. Oh, that's great. That's fantastic. Do you want to take another one from the people behind you? Anybody have? Yeah. No. Bridget. I'm afraid this is a question, but is, is it different like writing or creating during a pandemic? Anybody else? <laughs> <laughs> you do not get to pick and choose, Mister. That's a great question. Bridget asked, "Is it is it different writing or creating during the pandemic?" And yeah, absolutely. It was. Um, it was. It was very different from from the experience of writing my other books because. The world, my world became so narrow and so compressed and, and, and in many ways claustrophobic. And if if readers read the opening scene of When Ghosts Come Home, there's a scene where our, our sheriff, Winston Barnes, is driving out to the airport in the middle of the night. And I wanted to give the reader the impression of a tunnel that he's, he's driving down this, this the main road of the island and there, there are trees around him. The moon is out. And I wanted the reader to feel like they were inside of a tunnel along with him. And that would kind of be the entree to the, to the novel. And that's how my life, my life very much felt that way then. Wow. Oh, that's fascinating how it worked its way in there. Yeah. Um, Tracy Shooping, this is, I want to know this too, um, wants to know what you're reading for pleasure currently. Although as we've all been on book tour, you're probably reading nothing. <laughs> Well, He's reading everybody itinerary. Yeah, I've been driving a lot, and so okay. I'm listening to the love okay. songs of W. E. B. Du Bois. Oh, is, yeah. It's yes. one of those books like you're like, it's not going to be as good as everybody says it is, and then it's better. It's just amazing. Oh. It's um, it's such an intimate portrait of a family 
on a granular level. And I'm a huge fan of Thomas Wolfe's novel, novel Look Homeward Angel. And this feels that, that epic of a scope of getting to really know, like there's so many scenes where I'm just cringing at conversations people are having or the way characters will treat one another badly or love one another. And I'm driving and I'm like, Oh, please don't say that. Please take that back. You know, I'm rooting for them or I'm mad at them. And then just yesterday I was in Asheville and I was uh, heading out to do something. And I heard Anderson Cooper with all his charm on NPR talking about his new book about the Vanderbilt. So I went yeah. right to Malaprops and bought yeah. Anderson Cooper's book on his launch day. So I'm sure that Anderson bought my book on my launch day. No, I'm, I'm sure he did. Right Cooper, I call him Andy, but I won't embarrass him. But I hope he bought my book. Uh, on <laughs> and I think somebody, you had a question? Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Sure. I just so thank you. She asked about my second novel, This Dark Road to Mercy, which is set in my hometown of Gastonia. And then it, the closing uh, scenes are in St. Louis. And she asked if I went to St. Louis to research. And I did not before writing the book, but I went on book tour in St. Louis for that book. <laughs> And part of it was set in St. Louis. I wrote about the St. Louis Cardinals. I did ah. daytime TV with Joe Buck's sister. I was ah. on radio. <laughs> I was like, today's event, tonight's event at the store is going to be insane. And I went and I had two people. <laughs> uh, one of them was there when the event started and just like sat down awkwardly because he didn't know what else to do. And so uh, I had the tour credit card. And I said, do y'all just want to go get dinner? I've got a $150 day per diem. Wait, so why is on a credit card? I know. What, what is this? Oh, <laughs> I'm the only writer in America who's allowed to have one of those. It actually oh. says Rupert Murdoch on it because I'm with Harper. Collins. I used to have a Harper credit card when I was yeah. at Harper. I yeah. miss that. I was pretty sweet. I don't have one now. It's got my own name on it, which is so disappointing. Uh. <laughs> we just went next door and had dinner and drinks. And it was oh, one of my favorite awesome. events of the entire tour. Oh, I like oh, my that. God. That's we awesome. make le- lemonade from lemons. That's awesome. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And we've all had that signing. Oh, we we yeah. actually talked about that last oh, week. We did. You, know? you guys, Emily Henry. Henry. I mean, it even happens to Emily Henry. So yeah. <laughs> you just you just have to announce that Kristen Hannah's there, and then right, there show up. Yeah, that's the key to success. <laughs> some people get up and leave, but some people are too embarrassed to leave. Yeah, and, and then they're stuck. Happens. They have mm-hmm. to listen to you. <laughs> I always feel bad for the booksellers. You go in, yeah. and they're like, yeah. Fingers crossed for a crowd, but there's a PTA <laughs> meeting tonight mm-hmm. and a Saved by the Bell marathon, and you know how that goes. And it looks like it might ring. No, the best is when the best is when they say this never happens. This never happens. <laughs> oh yeah, this never happens. And you're like, great! I feel like so much worse. Thanks for sharing with me. I did an event one time and. Uh, It wasn't very well attended. I don't even remember where it was. And the first person to come up to get their book signed said, I just wanted to tell you that I loved Serena. Ron Rash. Ron Rash. Rash, Rash, sounds alike. Around, we're like, what's he going to do here? And I said, well, I'll be honest with you. I think it's the best book I'm probably ever going to write. And I just (laughs) while it passed, and we went on with the event. Oh, that oh is amazing. Gosh. All right. So, so Wiley, we know you teach at UNC Asheville. And I have to say that the beginning of this book is so masterful. I mean, we've been talking about it, but we meet and know exactly who we need to meet and know. And yet you never tell us anything. It's just the way you unroll it showing us is just so well done. So we all know you're a great writer. And of course, every week on our show, we ask our guests for a writing tip. Would you be so kind as to give us one tonight? Sure. Yeah. You know, the opening scene, I'm trying to set the expectations, the reader's expectations as soon as I can. And I argue that we enter a piece of fiction the same way we enter a dream. We say, where am I? Who are these people? What are the rules of time? What are the what are the rules of the unities in the stream or this book? Yeah. So I'm trying to nail all those things down as soon as possible. So 
you know immediately that this is a married couple. You know immediately that one of them is sick. You know that they are middle-aged because they're freaking and stretching and all this stuff. You know what time it is. There's an alarm clock right there they remark on. You know he's a sheriff immediately. He gets in the car and he turns on the radio and they're talking about the election uh, when Mondale is challenging Reagan. So you know it's 1984. And I'm not telling you uh, a middle-aged man and woman are married on Oak Island in this 1984 in the middle of the night. I'm just kind of walking you through this scene, giving you information so that when you're entering the dream that I'm trying to create for you and keep you inside of, because I never want you to consciously ask those questions. I'm mm-hmm. trying to give you all that information before you ask for it. Wow. I'm telling you, I'm getting in that class. I mean, I'm going to have to. I know. I, We're I'm already, I'm already thinking too. about, I mean, might have to pull some strings. It's, it's yeah. happening. Right? Yeah. yeah. We can commute together. I'll swing up and pick you up. We'll head up. Get there from there. You might be in the same state, but yeah. I know. I was thinking about that. I mean, you could not be further apart from, yeah. You're both in the same state, but you're probably closer drive to me than to Christy right now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's true. You guys are like on the far ends. Okay. Wiley, that was amazing. Um, All of you out there, hang on because our co founder, Mary Alice, is about to pop in and join us. Yes, you heard me right. So don't go anywhere. But Wiley, thank you so much for being with us. This was so fascinating. Thank you for being so honest about how your life is part of this story, about your love for North Carolina. And I know you have an audience that has been looking at your back. And they would (laughs) probably like for you to turn around. So I know there's loads of questions we didn't get to. If you have time, maybe you can stop by the Friends in Fiction page. But we are honored that you shared your pub week with us. And I know that all our viewers have been thrilled that you showed up for us this week. Well, I I sincerely want to thank all of you and Y'all are providing such a wonderful service to writers like me who are, you know, not quite having the book tours that we all envision wanting to have. So thank you for bringing me on and let me talk to your readers. You're just providing such a great service, such great literary citizens and and leaders. And it means a lot that y'all are hosting me. You are so much fun. You're so great. And tell your brother I said hi. I will definitely do that. He's a big Patty fan, let me tell you. Oh, his brother, in case y'all don't, let's give him a shout out. Yeah. Tell them my about your brother, a, real quick. My brother's a stand up comedian, Cliff Cash. You can find him on Instagram, Facebook. He travels the country doing comedy. He oh. is brilliantly funny. He is brilliantly funny. So check him and out. And when I first met him, we were at Southern Voices in Birmingham, Alabama, and he was with, he was Wiley's guest, and he was trying to decide whether to be brave enough to go do stand up. Yeah. And I laughed so hard at his jokes. Yeah. <laughs> he was and the hit of the weekend. He awesome. is awesome. And he did. He did it. He went out there and he did it. Yeah. That's so well, cool. Well, he thinks the world of you, Patty. So thank you for being so nice to him from Oh gosh, he's easy to be nice to. All right, Wiley. Take care. Thanks, Wiley. Thanks, this Wiley. Was so fun. Bye. Take Bye. care. Bye. Okay, everybody, before Mary Alice joins us, we want to remind all of you out there, Mary Kay, take it away. What am I reminding? What am I doing? Oh, I know. (laughs) I'm going to talk to you about the Writer's Block podcast. (laughs) We are always going to, don't forget to check out our Friends in Fiction Writer's Block podcast. Which is there it is. We're going to always post the links under announcements each time a new one drops. You like how I said drops? Like I know this lingo. That's that's, that's podcast lingo. Drop. That's that's awesome. Awesome. Yeah. 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 I've been watching um, Only Murder in the Building, so I know my podcast lingo now. I, isn't that so good? Yeah. So but good. not as good as Writer's Block. So we are a lot of fun. It's totally different from this show. So if you like us hanging out with us here, we know you're going to love being with us there on the writer's block every Friday. This past week, Ron and Patty talked to Nat Philbrick about his book, Travels with George, about how Nathaniel with his wife and dog retraced George Washington's inaugural U.S. trip. And this week, and we uh, we want to give a shout out to Nat, our buddy, because he oh, made the New York Times bestseller list on nonfiction. Yay! We are so happy for him. We are an incredible book. 
travels with George. Great, so just a great yeah. human being and a fascinating historian. And this week, Ron talks to Hank Philippi Ryan about writing thrillers. That's yeah. awesome. I can't so you don't want to miss that. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, it's funny when they, uh, when we just flashed that graphic of Ron, every single episode, every time I see that, I'm like, I love the podcast. It just, it's this moment of pure joy every episode. Oh, All right. No, so, that's a bad heart. I know, but I know mm. Noah, Noah showed me today that mom, this is a heart. I'm like, he doesn't no, I was saying mine was bad. Not yours. <laughs> no, I, no, no. My, mine is bad. So if you are not hanging know. out with us yet in the friends and fiction official book club, you are missing out the group, which is separate from us and run by our friends, Lisa Harrison and Brenda Gardner is now more than 9,000 strong. So Patty was there earlier this week to talk about the bookshop at water's end and it was recorded and it's still available. So if you weren't able to be there, but if you're interested in learning a little bit more about the story behind that book head on over and this thursday as in tomorrow our own mary kate andrews will join the club at 7 p.m for a pre-celebration of the santa suit which i'm so excited about Yay. and on friday october 1st our rock star librarian ron block will join them for happy hour so you guys they have a lot going on a lot and as if that is not enough, our book club has announced a debut novel, The Orphan Witch by Paige Crutcher, who you saw on our debut episode a few weeks ago. That is going to be their book club pick for Spooky October. So they will Yay. be discussing that book just in time for Halloween on October 25th. And don't forget to join us for a special bonus episode this Sunday at 5 p.m. as we sit down with novelist and former CIA analyst Karen Cleveland who also just so happens to be Kristen Harmel's little sister. And next Wednesday, join us right here at 7 p.m. as we welcome best-selling novelist Debbie McCumber and celebrate the launch of MKA's The Santa Suit. Yay. You, of course, will not want to miss what we have in store for you. With MKA, you never, never know. <laughs> and in two weeks, join us and meet Newbery Award winner Kwame Alexander. So... I know that so many of you have been asking about Mary Alice since she took her sabbatical back in early July to do research in far-flung places without internet. But guess what? She is here to talk to us. Alan, can you bring on Mary Alice? Yay! Hi! Hi, Hi girls! Hi. Oh, How it's, are you? I am well, thank you. And everyone looks good. Y'all looking, uh, keeping up the good work, I see. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, it's really a great pleasure to be here on Friends in Fiction tonight. It really is. And to see all your faces. And um, as you know, as Patty just said, I've been on a leave of absence these last two months. And I've done a lot of research and I've started some exciting new projects. And in light of all these developments, I've had to make the most difficult decision, and that is to no longer continue on Friends in Fiction as a weekly host. I started Friends in Fiction with my friends here during the pandemic, and it really has been the greatest joy to be here, to talk with my friends, and so many wonderful authors like Wiley Cash. Hey, Wiley, if you're still listening, love to you. And most of all, to connect with all of you out there, all the readers. It's been my privilege. It truly has. And I'm not going away completely. The good news is I'll be returning from time to time as a guest host. And I'll be back to share with the girls any good news I have with my new books coming out. And I hope you'll visit me on my Insta page and Facebook and wherever to keep up with my upcoming news. And speaking of exciting news, it is fun to close with this. The Fab Five is coming to join us live and in person together at Wild Dunes January 16th. And we'll put all the news up, but we're going to have a blast. And I hope to see you there. But until then, for now, thank you all so much. I love you and farewell. <laughs> Oh, well, tell us a little bit about your research. Like, how, how did it go well? With yes. It's a, well, I have a couple projects going. And um, 
One is the middle grade, which the next one is search for treasure. And it's all done. Oh, I love it. Push the best. So that'll be out next summer. But the other next book is a, is a generational novel. And it's set in the Ace Basin and it's pretty intense and very heavy research. And I'm just enjoying being able to squirrel away and to write. And it's uh, the pandemic being together with the show was fabulous and it's what I needed. Mm -hmm. And I think the last two months made it clear to me that I just need the time to just Mm. write and to be quiet. Plus I'm researching whales and I'm sorry. (laughs) It's that's far away. (laughs) You remember when I was in Mexico trying to connect with you the last Oh gosh. It was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's hard when you're in odd parts of the world to, uh, to hook up every Wednesday night, but I do look forward. We will be together. I'll see you all as a guest host. Whenever you all want to break, I'll be here for you. And it'll be, um, it's not goodbye. It's just um, Arrivederci. I'll see you next time. Yeah. So what was that song they used to sing on um, Lawrence? Well, for those of us who are old, it was like, adios, au revoir. (laughs) They said it in every language before they That's right. That's right. All right. (laughs) To all of you out there. We encourage you to grab Wiley's novel, When Ghosts Come Home, from Park Road Books. There will be a link in the announcements. Mary Alice, it is so wonderful to see your face and hear about your work. Yes. Know that you are out there, you know, doing your research and that you will be back to visit us. Everyone has missed you. Yes. And I love you all and all everyone out there. It's not goodbye. It's I'll see you later. And I, it's been a great, great joy to be part of Friends of Fiction. And I still am. Yes, yes you are. Well, we'll miss you. And we're, um, but we're glad for you in this next chapter. And um, we'll, we'll always to- have our turtle hats, Mary Alice. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh my gosh, I literally, this is not staged, but I have mine right here. <laughs> Oh, oh my gosh, it looks good. It still looks good. <laughs> I, I wish I would have thought I'm in the drawer behind me that I'm not pulling out is the Santa hat for next week, but I need to go find my turtle yeah, hat. That's so. because I never cleaned my office. Sorry, that was not like... <laughs> hilarious. You can tell when I'm stuck writing because I clean out my office. That's yeah. hilarious. Raise your hand if you do that. Right. It's like the procrastination. Oh, yeah. yeah I definitely need to start filing some things. In other words, I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah, not writing. Exactly. All right. To all of you out there, we will see you at the after show and come back next week. Same time, same place as we welcome Debbie Maycomer and celebrate Mary Kay Andrews and the Santa suit. So thanks, y'all. Good night. Good night. Good night. Hi guys. (laughs) So that was interesting doing it from a live bookstore. I kind of like the energy of that. Yeah, that's cool. That's something to consider for the future. We had a big night tonight. We we had a live store and then we had kind of a bittersweet. We had to say bye to Mary Alice. Not bye bye, but she said, see you later. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. that was a hard decision to come to, and yeah. you know, yeah. it, it's just it sounds like what she needs right now, and and that's mm-hmm. good. I'm I'm glad, you know, that's a good thing to come to a moment in your life where where you're able to say this is what, this yeah. is what I need. And yeah. I don't know if people really know. I mean, you know what really goes into the behind the scenes of putting together something like yeah. this, and I think yeah. it probably sort of looks like we pop up here for an hour and a half on Wednesday nights, but we all know that is not the case. Um, and you know, it it is. It's definitely yeah. sometimes a struggle to maintain the balance of all those things. And um, yeah. it's a pleasure and a gift and so wonderful. But yeah. um, I so agree. True. I'm sure it was a really hard decision because, you know, we've built something so amazing. Yeah. Sorry, that yeah. was a sneeze. Not a laugh. And it was a sneeze. Yes. Could you see, when I sneeze, you know. Like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to say. <laughs> if you sneeze and we didn't hear it, it doesn't count. <laughs> 
But so, she would have that sneeze. I'm so annoyed. Move on. <laughs> I know. Skip over her completely. <laughs> well, uh, no, but well, it, 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 she talked saying. a little bit about being gone because of yeah. research. Yeah. And it's been making me think about yeah. some of our immersive research. Yeah. I want I want y'all to talk about that. I always think I think your stories are so interesting from the police detectives to Paris to North. Yeah. I, tell me a little bit. Vanderbilt. Yeah. Talk to me about it. Um, uh, who's talking? Any of us. <laughs> Kristen, you go. You were starting. You were you were on it. Um, for me, there's really something to be said for being able to. I think it's probably for all of us being able to actually immerse yourself for at least a small period of time in the world you're writing about. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, kind of going back to what Wiley said about how the way he starts his novels is like establishing the framework for a dream by giving you all of those. That was amazing. Feelings. Yeah. I, it was amazing. So it's giving you all those feelings, all those minute little details that build the world. To me, that's why the research is so important because yeah. it's not it's not the big things. It's not the dialogue. It's not the characters. It's not all of that that, that immerses you in the novel at the beginning. Those are the mm-hmm. things that drive the novel, but you need to frame that world. And it's mm-hmm. to me, it's the research that frames that world. So, um, so yeah, it, it's really important. And, um, and I, you know, I just have to say, I'm pretty smart that I write books set in Paris because that's You're just so what I have smart. to go to Paris I mean, to do the genius. <laughs> she has that sneeze and she's so smart. It's so annoying. <laughs> and she drums too. Yes. Oh, yeah. And writes songs. Do. Uh, yeah. And musicals. <laughs> I know. I'm just a one trick pony. What am I doing I'm, with my life, you guys? <laughs> I know. I'm just a one trick pony. All I all I do is, you know, grind out a book here. Mm-hmm. Tell me you about one of your, your immersive um, research things, because I know you have some great ones. Well, when I was writing, I loved hearing Wiley talk about, you know, the difference between writing a mystery and something he thought was not a mystery. Um, yeah. Uh, when I was writing mystery, I did a lot of crazy research things. Like once I got myself, uh, I, I didn't own a Cadillac, but for the a scene in the mystery I was working on, I had somebody needed to go into a gated subdivision. And so I needed her. I came up with the idea that she would steal a Domino's pizza clamp on sign and put it on top of her car and she and her associate would go in to this gated community. And then she rode in the trunk, but I needed to know who could communicate with the driver from the trunk of a Cadillac. So I called a friend who actually owned a Cadillac, went over there, climbed in the trunk. Oh my gosh. I love it. And talked and talk to her. Uh, yeah, I got myself booked into jail in Savannah when I was writing Savannah Blues. Wow. So I knew what it was like to get booked into jail and to be issued an orange jumpsuit. And worse than the orange jumpsuit is being issued rubber thongs that other people have worn. Ugh. You, know. you mean sandals, right? Yes. <laughs> no, no. Yes. <laughs> like soccer stand, rubber shower shoes. Rubber shower shoes. Is I'm just clarifying. She went there. She went there, didn't she? I'm, I'm sorry. I'm yeah. sorry. Um, I haven't even had any wine yet tonight. And I'm just really, um, no, I thought it was really interesting. You know how Wiley was talking about um, how he um, always wrote about the mountains. And this time he wrote about the coast and I'm sort of the opposite. I've always written about the coast and now I'm writing about the mountains. And I actually grew up about, gosh, like 20 minutes from where Wiley grew up. We both grew up kind of like in the Piedmont of the state. So I actually was a lot closer to the mountains and the beach growing up. So it was an area I was really familiar with, but, um, writing the wedding veil, you know, did feel a little bit different because I was writing about a place that was so geographically different and, um, writing about the Vanderbilts and, um, you know, all of those things. And I had this idea about how, um, I actually just wrote about this, but I had an idea of how I was going to write this book about Biltmore and the Vanderbilts. And I was going to have this year round pass and I was going to go to Asheville like a million times to research this novel. And then of course the pandemic hit. So it was a very different experience. And I thought it was going to be, um, 
And fortunately, you know, I mean, even when I did get to go, it was crazy. I mean, it was, um, felt really weird to like be in this place, all these people and everyone's masked. And unfortunately I was, I, I, the places that I was writing about, interestingly enough, are largely not the places that you see on the tour. Um, so that was actually kind of good because I could sort of sneak around in these like back hallways and, um, passageways and things that you wouldn't necessarily see otherwise. Um, but it was a different experience than I thought I was going to have. And, but I think what was even more gratifying, I mean, I obviously had been to Biltmore a lot, um, growing up. And then I had been, um, right before I started writing this book, which was what kind of sparked the idea for the story. And so it wasn't like a place I'd never been before. I couldn't visualize, but there was something really cool about diving so deeply into this research with, you know, librarians and historians and all these people for so long and then going to the house and seeing it in this completely different way um, and really being able to imagine the way that the people actually live their lives there versus, you know, walking through and being like, wow, this place is huge. You know, it's just a really different kind of experience. Um, and I mean, for me, there's, there are things that we research in every single book that we write, but it, you know, with it being my first, like, my first time writing about a real historical place with you know, people who actually were alive and lived. It was a vastly different experience for me. I don't know how you guys do it all the time. It's very hard. Um, and I think what makes it even harder is that, um, especially with people like the Vanderbilts, there's so much, I'm talking too long. I'm sorry. I'm saying no, this. No, no, thing no, 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 no. <laughs> but there's, they were written so much about in like gossip columns and things like that, that it's really hard to separate fact from fiction because yes. a lot of times these yes. huge stories would be in yes. these papers about them and they aren't marked as like gossip columns or something that ne isn't necessarily real. And so um, a lot of times I found myself just having to kind of like, make my best guess or choose the version of the story that yeah. fit my book the very best, because, you know, I would just get these vastly different things. Yep. And, um, and, you know, it's like anything else. I mean, Biltmore has a narrative that, um, that they have woven obviously because they're this huge tourist attraction. And, um, so it's just, it was really interesting just to kind of see all the different things that come into play when you're trying to research people who, um, you know, are no longer here. Yeah. Yeah, the, so true. the, um, deep research that we all do in different ways, Mary Alice is doing it with, um, you know, nature, but we've all hunkered down, visited the places. Yeah. And I feel like almost every time you do that, you just, or every time I do that, and I know you feel the same way, every time you do that, we discover like this little nugget, whether yes. it's, uh, plastic yep. shoes or, yes. Notice how I said yeah. So you find this little <laughs> nugget that yeah. completely shifts the story. Yeah, that's what brings it alive. You're totally right. It's those little nuggets of detail that you can only experience firsthand. Yeah, but Kelly, yeah. you experienced that writing "Surviving Savannah." Oh God. Oh gosh. Yes. I mean, I mean so and Mrs. Lewis. I mean, like oh, boots yeah. on the ground. Yeah. So boost on the ground. So everybody out there, it has been an incredible night. I'm, and also sad mm -hmm. and also um, moving. It's been all the things tonight. We need you to know that none of us are going anywhere. 100%. We're here for the long haul. Yep. You are stuck let, with us. I was going to say, let, long after you want us to be, we'll still be here doing this. <laughs> so you're like, God, are there any other authors for them to interview? <laughs> yes, we're gonna we're gonna start having to 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 interview. Um, yeah, I'm, we're not going to say that. So yeah, yeah we, <laughs> like, we Sally, are this not... is an impressive essay you've written for your first grade class. Would you like to, <laughs> know, to talk exactly. about it? Yeah. So, my little grandchild, Bridget, would you like to tell us about that story you just made up? Um, so, you my what? I, in our tagline, it says endless stories, right? And the stories are endless. There's there's yes. so much to talk about. We'll never run out of books to read. We'll never run out of stories to tell and books to love and authors to talk to. And um, yep. we we will always be here. We, I mean, yeah, yep. we're here. We We feel as if... This is a never-ending opportunity to share with you. And y'all, 
you have built this community with us. We're we're not going anywhere. Yeah. And I think we should mention that um, coming up soon, we're going to have the best-selling author of Everybody Poops. (laughs) (laughs) We have to find out who that author is. We'll be providing that author with rubber thongs. Just in case. (laughs) (laughs) Of, of both varieties, just to oh cover all the Or this heads into a downward spiral. I think we should go get some dinner. Like the water down a toilet, you mean? That yeah, kind of like downward after you poop. Like that. This is like the ship metaphors. Like, they're just, there's so it's many. Nice. Thank you, Wiley. Thank you for that. So, all right. I love y'all. Love we'll you. Me too. Good we'll night, you guys. Good night, y'all. Good night. Thank you for tuning in. Join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live show airs every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And please, subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram. We're so glad you're here. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.